On the evening of May 24, 2020, Ohio residents Matthew Moore and his wife Emily were out on the town together celebrating Emily's birthday. After an enjoyable night out, the pair went back home and promptly went to sleep. But the next day, Matthew would find himself dialing 911 to alert Westerville police that his 52-year-old wife, Emily Noble, was missing. Matthew explained to officers how he had been with Emily the night before, but when he woke up, she was gone. So, where was Emily? Had she left on her own accord that night, leaving behind all of her belongings? Or was Matthew Moore hiding a dark secret? Today, we're diving into the case of Emily Noble and all the secrets and lies that surround her tragic end. Welcome to Beyond Evil, where we discuss and dissect the most mysterious, terrifying, and mind-bending cases from all over the world. Before we start, we would like to send our sincere condolences to the loved ones of Emily Noble. Emily Noble was an outgoing and energetic character with a love for anything to do with the outdoors. Emily had graduated from college with a liberal arts degree, and by 2020, she was working in Medicaid. But her life had not been easy. She had suffered the loss of several of her close friends in the 1990s, and she still struggled to come to terms with the loss of her first husband, Mark, who had tragically ended his own life in 2011. In addition to this, Emily had also lost her mother to a car accident in 2016. After this, Emily took some time off of work and sought counseling to learn how to cope with her grief, and soon enough she began looking to the future with a positive outlook. It was at this time that Emily downloaded the popular mobile dating app Plenty of Fish and began speaking to a man named Matthew Moore. Matthew Moore had been married to a woman named Lisa Peterson in 2000, and the couple had two sons together. But their younger child had died at a young age, and their older son, Joey, was living with the couple. But the relationship between Lisa and Matthew was often plagued by confrontation and violence. Lisa reported that while pregnant with their first son, Joey, Matthew had gotten angry and grabbed her by the throat and choked her violently. After this, a domestic violence complaint was filed by Lisa, but no charges were filed as Lisa chose not to pursue the case. But over the next few years, Matthew and Lisa had an on-again, off-again relationship before they finally divorced for good and parted ways. After the divorce, Matthew was a single man, and he was matched with Emily in 2016 on the dating site Plenty of Fish. As soon as Matthew and Emily met, they hit it off and began a romantic relationship. Emily was very taken with Matthew and had begun to think that he might be the man whom she wanted to spend the rest of her life with. But it came as a shock to her one day when, seemingly out of the blue, Matthew suddenly left Emily, fleeing to Las Vegas without a word. Emily was heartbroken, truly believing that Matthew was the love of her life. Her friends attempted to console her, encouraging her to move on and telling her that there was, in fact, plenty of fish in the sea. But love-struck Emily refused to believe it and continued to wait for Matthew to return. Six months later, when Matthew came back to Ohio, Emily couldn't believe her good fortune. And it didn't take long for the couple to rekindle their relationship. But Emily's friends were wary of Matthew. They didn't like the way that he would often treat her. 
they didn't want her to get her heart broken again, just as she had when Matthew suddenly left for the first time. But Emily reassured her friends that everything was fine and that Matthew was the one. They were going to get married, and she excused Matthew's blip in Las Vegas as a byproduct of a traumatic brain injury he had suffered years before. Emily would use this injury as an excuse for many of Matthew's behaviors towards her in the coming years. One day, not long after Matthew's return, Emily met with her friends after lunch and told them that she and Matthew had gotten married. This was very sudden and surprising for Emily's friends because the couple had not been together for very long, and this seemed like a very fast-moving development. And when they asked Emily about this, she told her friends that the wedding was simply so they could put Matthew's son, Joey, on her health insurance. It seemed to Emily's friends that Matthew might simply be using Emily out of convenience and taking advantage of the fact that Emily truly loved him. And their worry was exacerbated when they discovered that Matthew's wedding ring was the same ring that had previously belonged to Emily's first husband, Mark. Mark had died wearing the ring that was now being worn by Matthew. After their hurried marriage, Matthew, who at the time was unemployed, quickly moved himself and his now teenage son, Joey, into Emily's Westerville apartment. After moving in, Matthew made a point of making Emily take down her much-loved artwork that once hung proudly on her walls. Matthew seemed to be making the apartment his own, and to some, it seemed like Emily was losing her identity to a man who had not long ago left her heartbroken and alone. Emily's friends would later describe Matthew during this time as someone who usually appeared disheveled and stressed, in contrast to Emily, who was a very neat person who exercised impeccable hygiene. They said Matthew was obnoxious and possessive, that he kept Emily away from her loved ones because he felt the need to continually demonstrate his authority over her. Despite all this, Emily worked hard to provide for her family while Matthew homeschooled Joey. It was around this time that Joey, who was now 17 years old, was diagnosed with schizophrenia, and it was Emily who took over most of the care while Matthew seemed to give up on his son after the diagnosis. At one point during this time, Matthew and Emily went out with some of their friends, and in a chillingly joking manner, he remarked to the party that he wanted to adopt an Ethiopian baby because he, quote, doesn't like the one we have now, referring to Joey. It was shortly after this that Emily left town for a couple of nights to go on a trip with a girlfriend, and while she was gone, Matthew got an evening job delivering pizza, and so Joey was left alone at the house. Tragically, Joey's lifeless body was found hanging from a tree in a local park the next day by a jogger. Emily, who hadn't even been on her trip 24 hours, was crushed by the news that her stepson had ended his own life in her absence, and she blamed herself. Emily struggled to cope with the loss of her stepson, but the biggest question on everyone's list was why he had done it. Joey had been trusted to be left alone because it seemed he was doing better. He had a job as a dishwasher at a local restaurant and even had shown some interest in a local girl. But unfortunately, these questions would never be answered. After the forensic examination and toxicology screening were conducted, Joey Moore's death was ruled a suicide. Emily was devastated by this loss, the child that she had grown to love like her own. 
And in the months after Joey's death, she took some time off of work to heal and threw herself into her love of the outdoors. She went on walks every day before the sun rose, sometimes with Matthew or with friends, but most of the time she would go on her own. Emily felt like being outside brought her the healing that she needed from yet another tragedy. During this time, Emily got into foraging, a practice where someone searches for and collects different food sources out in the wild, such as plants, mushrooms, fruits, and herbs. According to her friends, Emily excelled at this and was rarely seen outside without her book that she used to help identify what was safe and what was not. Emily went out on May the 20th with one of her friends named Celeste to go foraging together. Two days later, Celeste wished Emily a happy birthday, not knowing that this would be the last time she would ever see her friend. On May the 24th, 2020, Emily and Matthew went out in Westerville and drank at a couple of different bars to celebrate her birthday. After they got home, the couple quickly went to sleep. The next day, after spending most of the day hanging out around the house, Matthew picked up the phone and made a call to Emily's friend, Celeste, to ask if she knew where his wife was. When she heard that Emily was missing, Celeste immediately felt like something was terribly wrong and urged Matthew to call police while she drove over to the house. The police arrived shortly after and spoke with both Celeste and Matthew outside the home. Matthew recounted the hours before and after he had last seen Emily. According to Matthew, after he and Emily had gotten home the previous night, they had gone to bed together, and it was at some point during the night that Matthew would wake up and go to the bathroom. When he returned, he went to sleep in Joey's old bedroom so as not to wake Emily up in the middle of the night. The next morning, Matthew woke up around 10 a.m. The couple had plans that day to attend an event together, so Matthew was confused as to why she had slept in so late without waking him. He texted her, thinking that she was up in the master bedroom and asked if they were still going out, but he received no reply. Getting up, Matthew discovered Emily's bed had been made, but she was nowhere to be seen. Her car, her keys, her phone, and her purse were still in the home. Thinking that perhaps she had gone for a walk, Matthew went about his day until around 6 p.m. when he noticed she had not returned home. It was at this time that he called both Celeste and the police. When officers went inside the home, they immediately noted that Emily's bed had been made, and this made them question whether it had even been slept in at all, and if it hadn't, what had happened to Emily the previous night. News of Emily's disappearance quickly spread, and police acted fast to try to find her. A massive search was put together, consisting of cadaver dogs, drones, divers, and search parties, all in an attempt to locate Emily. But after weeks of searching, Nothing had turned up. Speculation and rumors about what could have happened to Emily began to spread like wildfire. Some believed Emily had simply left amid her grief, while others whispered about foul play. But whatever the cause of Emily's disappearance was, she was nowhere to be found. While the search for Emily went on, police would also look at Matthew as a potential suspect. Initially, after his wife's disappearance, Matthew's behavior struck the public and police as odd. He had refused to participate in any searches for Emily, even after he was personally invited by the police, and they struggled to get him to cooperate in their investigation. Two days after Emily was reported missing, Matthew was asked to come down to the police station for a voluntary interview. 
There, he spoke to a detective without a lawyer present and made the statement that he wants to get this out of here. I want to help you guys out. I didn't do it. This statement stating that he didn't do it was puzzling for police. At this point, Emily was still considered a missing person, but it seemed like Matthew had already begun attempting to build his defense as if he knew somehow that Emily would never be found. Later, the detectives asked him to provide a written statement as to his version of the events on the night that Emily disappeared. For the rest of the hour-long interview, Matthew began to probe investigators as to why they were asking him so many questions, thinking that because this was a voluntary interview that he shouldn't be treated as a suspect. But while the detectives were interviewing him, they were watching for clues to see if Matthew knew more than he was telling them. And towards the end of the interview, Matthew would inadvertently give the detectives such a clue. When the detectives noticed that Matthew was speaking about Emily in the past tense, saying things like, she loved me, it confirmed their beliefs that Matthew knew more than he was telling. He knew that Emily was dead. Seconds later, police reveal Emily's recent texts to various friends where she was questioning how much longer her marriage to Matthew was going to last. Police believed they had their man, based on the facts around the case and Matthew's suspicious behavior. All they needed was to find Emily's body or another piece of solid evidence that would allow them to build a case against Matthew. From that point on, every move Matthew made was heavily watched by both investigators and the public alike. The Ohio Bureau of Criminal Investigation was quickly brought in and surveillance footage around the area was reviewed. A neighbor stated that he had seen Emily on the morning of her disappearance, but it was quickly retracted when the neighbor admitted that he had gotten his dates mixed up. Posters were put up across Westerville and the outer areas appealing for anyone with information about Emily's whereabouts to come forward with a five-figure reward attached, but leads quickly ran dry. It was as if Emily had simply vanished. Vigils were held, and friends, family, and detectives continued to search daily for the missing 52-year-old woman. But speculation continued like wildfire. From town gossip to social media, Matthew Moore found himself tangled in a web of speculation and accusation. Matthew knew that without a body, they would never be able to prove that he had done anything. But after being accused of his wife's murder, he quickly lawyered up and stopped cooperating with police. On different occasions, detectives had asked to meet with Matthew at his home, the station, or even a public park just to provide updates on the investigation, but he refused to speak with them. The police even obtained a search warrant for Matthew's home, but they were unable to find any incriminating evidence. It was as if Matthew Moore had committed the perfect crime, and no one was able to pin it on him. Emily's body would not be missing forever. Almost four months after she had last been seen on September 16, 2020, a body was found by three women walking in the woods near where she and Matthew lived. The body was hanging off of a branch on a 20-inch cord wrapped tightly around the neck. Dental records and later DNA were used to confirm that it was the body of Emily Noble. The autopsy noted that an e-cigarette, a necklace, a water bottle, and her wedding ring were all found with her. This was the break that police had been waiting for. Now they finally had a body to connect to their investigation. 
they quickly got to work on the many different theories as to how Emily's body ended up hanging from a tree in that area. Shockwaves, rumors, and fear flew around the city of Westerville when, because of the amount of decomposition, the state's Skeletal Biology Research Lab had to be called in to work with the Delaware County Coroner's Office to determine the cause of death. Together, the two reported that Emily had died of a combination of multiple injuries to her head and neck. The face and neck fractures were suggestive of homicide, and investigators speculated that someone had murdered Emily and then, weeks later, had taken the body out in the woods and staged the scene as an attempt to make it look as if Emily had ended her own life. All fingers pointed at Matthew Moore. 389 days after Emily Noble was last seen alive and 275 days after her body was found, a grand jury indicted Matthew Moore for murder and felonious assault of his wife. The next day, June 17, 2021, at a traffic stop, Matthew was found and finally arrested and charged with these heinous crimes. News of his arrest and the charges spread quickly, and, as usual, his trial by social media began. Former friends, Emily's loved ones, and true crime content creators poured in, speaking of his guilt even before Matthew's court hearings had begun. Matthew Moore was charged with counts of murder and felonious assault. Appearing in court via Zoom a day after his arrest, he pled not guilty. He was remanded to custody, and due to the nature of his charges, a $2.5 million bond was set. Less than two months later, on Monday, August 16, 2021, Matthew appeared with his defense at a pretrial hearing. Emily's friends and family were seen sobbing in the courtroom, with Tondra Van Allen, a longtime friend and former roommate of Emily's, bringing and holding up a framed photo of her. She also wore a mask that said, Justice for Emily. During the pretrial hearing, Matthew's defense asked that the trial date be pushed back, citing the fact that the case had been with prosecution for months, but they had had less than two to prepare. The judge agreed to the motion and the trial was pushed back. Although this hearing was emotional for Emily's friends and family, they showed support for the judge moving the trial date back and spoke about a need for a fair trial. In time, 12 jurors were selected and the trial was set to begin on August 15, 2022. In the lead-up to the proceedings, the jury took what was called a jury view, where they went to visit Emily and Matthew's home and the spot where Emily's body was found. Throughout the seven-day trial, prosecutors alleged that Matthew had intentionally killed Emily and staged her body to make it look like a suicide. The prosecution brought in Emily's friends, family, and even Matthew's ex-wife Lisa to testify against him. On the other side, his defense built their case on Emily's struggles with her mental health, the hardships that she had faced, and the fact that ultimately, all the prosecution had was conjecture, rumor, and circumstantial evidence. After just three hours of deliberation, the jury had their verdict. The judge read out the charges and announced that Matthew Moore was found not guilty of murder and the other charges he was facing. Matthew Moore sobbed as the verdict, agreed upon by all 12 members of the jury, was read out. In a touching display, the judge turned to Matthew and said he was free to go. After the trial had ended and the verdict was announced, one of the jurors went to the media. The juror, known only by her first name, Connie, spoke about how she knew Matthew was innocent, 
saying, I knew from day one I thought he was not guilty, and the prosecutors never changed my mind. I didn't falter about how I felt, not for one minute. I went in open-minded, hoping that the prosecution team would prove me wrong, show me something here, give me something. They didn't have it. They had nothing. Connie spoke about the possibility that Emily Noble's death could have been a murder, committed by someone else, but in her heart she knew that the 52-year-old had a great sadness about her, and on May 24, 2020, she had decided to take her own life in the same way that her stepson Joey had done not long before. Today, Matthew Moore is a free man and has begun to rebuild his life. Before we conclude today's podcast, we wanted to address the unfortunate fact that Emily's first husband, her stepson, and then later herself all ended their lives because of mental health issues, feelings of depression, doubt, and despair. It is a very real fact that millions of people around the world struggle with the same feelings of depression and anxiety, and many have contemplated ending their own lives, as was done by many people in this case. If you or someone you know has contemplated suicide, we encourage you to call the number I'm about to give you and talk with someone. In the United States, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 1-800-273-8255. If you found this story compelling, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and leave a five-star review if you'd like to show your support. Also, don't forget to hit the notification bell to stay up to date each time we reveal a new shocking case. Until next time, stay safe and keep your eyes peeled. You never know what's lurking in the shadows. <laughs>